0: Welcome to this marketing edition of B2B Nation, part of a Technology Advice Podcast Network. Today on the show, we have Cassie Lancelotti-Young, the EVP for Customer Success at Sailthrough. Thanks so much for joining me today, Cassie. Uh, So how important is this idea of a single customer view? We'll, We'll start it off there.
1: Yeah, so I think there's a, a couple different things at play. So the, the first thing that I'll mention is that there's a lot of work that goes into in, in integrating different systems, right, and they all have to talk to each other. And so this is why when, you know, our founders set out to build sales this was sort of at the core of the business, is let's start with that one user profile and build up from there. Now, what's interesting, and the reason I bring this in as a trend conversation, is because increasingly when I go to industry events, when I talk to clients and prospects alike, more of them are talking about this than they ever have before, right? Um, they actually believe that it's feasible because there's a rich API economy, right? There's a lot of uh, you know it's easier to integrate than it's ever been before, um, so that that's definitely a, a big one that's been out there. But one of the really interesting things that I see um, is, and I, I started to allude to this before, is just the explosion of brands that are online, right? And how hard it is to attract consumer mindshare, and so. The way I like to describe it to people is that I think one of the biggest challenges is that there's been a huge divide that's unfolded in terms of the difference between retention and loyalty, right? And any smart marketer can drive retention because they can offer a discount. They can win a customer back. They can do all types of promotions and smart things to do that. But there's a huge difference between getting someone back today and actually building long-term loyalty, right? Um, and I always give the example of, you know, if you're a, an Argent Jake crew shopper, um, you know, they offer discounts a lot. Well, person A may just buy because it's on discount, and that's the person who's being attracted by a retention mechanics, right? You give them 30% off, they come back. Um, you know, person B, who's the loyalist, even if you don't offer them 30% off but they love the blazer you just produced, they're probably going to be willing to buy it versus person A is going to look for the comparable in the marketplace that's being offered by, at a discount by a competitor and is, you know, the switching costs are going to be low for them. So uh, what we're really trying to do is to help our brands come up with uh, better ways to retain those customers, um, you know, in terms of actually building loyal relationships and making sure that their customers have unrivaled experiences and that's through, you know, personalized content, but it's not just product recommendations. It's through timeliness, et cetera. You know, if I was always, shopping at 11 p.m., why do I wake up to a sea of emails at 6.30 in the morning? So
0: mechanics like that. Personalized content is something that's really interesting to me, too. And could you speak a little bit more to that? And, you know, how, how are brands sort of targeting customers in different and unique ways? I feel like that's a new thing that very much so is, is on the edge of uh, sort of exploding at this point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what I would say to that is that personalization is still very much a buzzword, right? And it means very different things to different players. And so, what we actually sought to do was we mapped out what we call a personalization maturity curve, right? Um, and that maturity curve, it may start with something as simple as field insertion, right? So, your first name and an email, right? And then maybe someone who's you know, slightly more sophisticated might do more traditional segmentation. They're looking at recency, frequency. But the game that Salesforce is trying to play is really this notion of true one-to-one that is about so much more than just a name, a segment, or a product recommendation. It's. Um, I tend to think about it from what I call sort of a, a bus framework, BUS, um, where I'll say it's behavioral. So the behavior could be like the time of day stuff I mentioned. You know, why are we always going after you in the morning? It's usage, so the usage stuff would be like the most obvious things that most people talk about. That would be what you look at, what you purchase, et cetera, the more classical segmentation models. And then the S is situational, right? So um, how do we tweak your experience based on what we know about the mobile device you you typically use or if you're always a desktop shopper or if you live within a half a mile of a retail store, shouldn't your experience look significantly different than someone who lives – you know, 600 miles from the closest retail store. So what we're really trying to do is, you know, what we call omnichannel, optimized and predictive. So, um, you know, the, the latest product that we rolled out at Salesforce is actually a predictive analytics tool that not only looks backwards at users, but, you know, spits out a likelihood on a per-user basis of, you know, whether or not they'll buy, whether or not they'll opt out of emails um, to really try to help marketers fine-tune the targeting uh, on more of a forward-looking basis as well.
0: For sure, and how important is the the customer journey for you guys? I mean, obviously, you can look back on a on a person and see you know where they've interacted with with your site or, or with your brand. How uh, how important is that to sort of a story that you unfold to them?
1: Yeah, I think it's hugely important, and it's actually like a good segue, and probably the the one other trend that's really top of mind for me, which is that of automation, right? Um, I think the one challenge, you know, we hear a lot of people talking about like the customer journey, and it makes that word makes me a little bit skittish, right? Because every customer is very, very different, and I think that's what we built our platform for. Is that, you know, I am a female living in New York City, and there are tons of other females living in New York City who look absolutely nothing like me, right? Um, and so, you know, and when you need a sort of a default option, segmentation works great. But we also want to embrace the likes and interests of each one of those individuals. So our platform is less about building, you know, rules, and it's more about building logic that knows how to react based on real-time data, right? So the best example I could give you on this end is, you know, how often is it that since you live in New York, you know, if, if you're getting sports merchandise, you get stuff all for the New York sports team, right? Um, whereas your interests, like, may really well be in Bay Area teams. So what Salesforce does is because we're able to look at the type of content that you ingest on the website and your mobile app, et cetera, we ensure that regardless of the channel in which you're consuming it, you get relevant content. So if you are a huge San Francisco Giants fan, regardless of the fact that you told us that you were in a Manhattan dip code, that you always open your messages from Manhattan, we're still going to make sure that that San Francisco content finds you. And that's just one very specific example, uh, but, you know, it, it translates into, um, what goes on with the time-of-day stuff, device stuff, et cetera. And I think the, the big focus for us talking about the, the lifetime of a customer is we feel like so many marketing vendors and platforms out there are focused on wins today. They will all help you drive conversion rate optimization today. You run an A-B test, you get a result. That's interesting to us, but we're in the game of lifetime value optimization, and that's where our predictions come in. We want marketers to have an easy and fast pulse on what the downstream impact of the optimization decisions they make today are going to look like. So the focus for us is, you know, yeah, to a certain degree on the journey and the life cycle, but it's um, less about a really staged, um, super structured approach and more about what is the next best, you know, optimal route for this customer based on the predicted values that we have for them.
0: Do you see more marketers starting to focus on this downstream trajectory of customers? I mean, it's really interesting because I feel like when you're talking about it, I feel like as a marketer, I'm sort of like living in the past right now, you know, in that I'm looking to, you know, focus on customers from, you know, when I have them until when they purchase or when they convert. But, I mean, it is a really exciting thing to think about, you know, why, why aren't we… Um, looking more downstream, right? I mean, do you, yeah. do you see that as, as a focus of not only the brands that you guys are working with, but just sort of all over the world?
1: Yeah. So uh, a couple of different things. So one is we definitely see the results, right? Um, you know, one of the interesting things for us is, you know, we're primarily in the retention space, but most of our clients pass us data about acquisition, right? They tell us the source where they acquired any given customer. And uh, what we've been able to do with predictions is give them, you know, an estimate for one-year lifetime value fairly early into that relationship with the customer so that they can make twister, you know, decisions about their acquisition mix of what they may be playing on there. And it works. And, um, you know, they're able to take that data and build lookalikes around top-value customers. On Facebook, we saw a crazy number today about a 10x reduction in tax um, for one of our clients. But here's the challenge. Um, the challenge is that there is a real struggle to develop an appetite for marketers between balancing those longer-term longitudinal tests and lightweight testing that allows you to move quickly and identify wins, right? Uh, because a lot of times as marketers we're under pressure at the end of the month or the end of the quarter to hit a certain number, and we'll take to whatever tactic we need to do to get there. And so what we really try to advise our clients to do from a more strategic component is make sure that they're always carving out some part of the audience, however small, for that type of holdout group testing, for the longer-term testing of what's going on there, because, you know, all too often we're seeing these scenarios. I'll give you one that's super top of mind for me right now, where, like, all of these brands right now are growing are, are their list with contests, right? Everyone's deploying contests, so they, they appear to be relatively cheap cost of acquisition. Well, we ran this data last summer where we looked at um, a bunch of customers who were acquired from contests, vis-a-vis other paid channels in a fixed time period. And we found that the people who were acquired through contests were 62% less likely to convert into paying customers and 53% more likely to opt out of email. So most marketers don't go back and revisit that data on regular cadence. So that's why we're trying to bring the predictions more front and center. I know it's a long-winded, convoluted answer, but I think it's people want to be there, but there's a lot of pressures in the role that are Um, really precluding people from from getting there as quickly as we would like them to.
0: One sort of final question, too, is I'd just like for you to touch a little bit on how this sort of model can work for B2B as well. Because it's interesting, too, because I think right now for a lot of customers, it's different for retail than it is obviously for B2B. Um, Because retail, you know, you're likely to come back, you're likely to purchase again. So just I'd like to hear your thoughts just a little bit on how this sort of model and this downward convergence works for uh, B2B versus B2C.
1: Oh, completely. And I'll tell you that we use these same frameworks uh, at Salesforce, right, for our own marketing and sales engine, right. So, if we think about our sales funnel, uh, you know, we get leads, we convert some of them into marketing qualified leads, then we can we convert fewer of them into sales qualified leads, right. And so, it's really fascinating to look at. Well. What are the differences in that funnel conversion for leads that are acquired through content marketing versus event A or event B right? and so you know there's been instances where we've identified a source that looked really attractive because it really allowed us to turn up this big on volume of leads only to find out a couple of months later that you know the quality wasn't there right? so I think this applies to any business, and what I always tell people is that it, It's a marketing challenge, but it also goes into other parts of the business as well, too, right? Um, You know, you can look at it from a product perspective, et cetera. Um, That that balancing between quantity and quality really has to be top of mind. And, you know, we say we we like to play the long game. It's not just about what happens today, but, you know, what can you do to to really drive the longer-term win?
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I'd like to end on a fun note here. Uh, Yeah. The name, sail Through, what's the deal? What's the story?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think what's funny is that uh, the story has been probably taken in ten or twelve different directions <laughs> over the course of the of the past couple of years. Everyone has their own spin on it. But yeah. uh, you know, the the initial thought of it was uh, to have your message sail through to the customer, right? Um, and the thought there being, you know, you you want it to be relevant, you want it to be timely, and to get it there uh, with ease. So in our early days, sail through um, was heavily an email product. Uh, over the course of the past two to three years, as I mentioned earlier, we've expanded to do on-site recommendations, in-app, et cetera. But I think uh, the sales-through name probably drives more with email than we would even like at this point in time, since uh-huh. we're so ingrained the other channels. So uh, that's that's where it comes from. And uh, you know, on a really lighthearted note, um, everything in our office has a little bit of a nautical theme and flair to it, oh, right? So I see. Um, there's some cool stuff that happens on that end as well.
0: Nice, very cool. Well, yeah. gotta love the the. Company branding—that's always an important. Part. Absolutely. Um, cool. Well, thank you so much, Cassie, for for joining me today. Uh, how can our listeners find out more? I, I guess obviously direct them to your website, but are there any additional resources you'd like to point people to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So certainly go into the website. Um, you can always request a demo there. There's also some videos of the product there. Um, there's some great customer case studies on there to check out, but. Following us on Twitter, it's just at Sailthrough, uh, is a great way to get information as well. Our team is uh, pretty prolific on that channel, Um, but uh, always feel free to reach out that way or directly via the website, and we'd be happy to share more about uh, what we're here to do.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Cassie, for joining me. really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Thank you also to our listeners for following along. If you're trying to find the right technology for your business, we've done the research. You don't have to. Check out our website, technologyadvice.com. Thanks for listening.